0: You know, one of the the blessings of this season is I I get to follow some of my favorite shows a little more closely. Uh, How many of you have been enjoying The Mandalorian? Anybody out there, Mandalorian fans, the new Star Wars series? All right. Uh, We've definitely been enjoying it. We just watched the, the second season finale the other night, so I won't spoil anything. But one of the things I love about The Mandalorian is this Mandalorian creed. Anybody know it? This is the way. This is the way. It's I love how just this one simple phrase communicates commitment and courage and trust and simplicity just all wrapped in, into one. This is the way. And you know, it's been making me think about how sometimes it's good to explain in depth what we believe and why and what we do, what we do. And yet there's other times where I think it's fitting to just simply say and affirm together this is the way and not have to explain it, right? Like, why do Christians believe in a crucified and risen Jesus and believe that this same Jesus is coming again in glory one day? This is the way. This is the way. Why do Christians practice a lifestyle of waiting as an embodied, mindful, worshipful, prophetic, spirit-led practice? Because this is the way. You know, one of the first names of Christians as recorded in the Bible is simply followers of the way. And so it's good for us to affirm when we come face to face with the way, that this is the way. Jesus is the way. So as we follow him, we are on the way together. Uh, Just a side note on this phrase, I I tried using this is the way as a parenting tool. And uh, in case you're thinking about trying that out, I would not recommend it. Uh, it doesn't go over so well. Uh, my, uh, our kids were complaining about, you know, why in the world do they have to wait until Christmas to open their presents? And and the complaining got loud enough that I sat them down. I looked at them and said, kids, this is the way. <laughs> and it didn't go over so well. It turned into lots of whys. Why? Why, Dad? Why is this the way? Why? And so we were able to have some good conversation just about, you know, obviously it's special to to give and receive presents as we remember Jesus, the gifts come to us and the gifts that were brought to Jesus. And so we do this on Christmas Day for a reason. And it's special to wait. And the waiting will be worth it, right? That's often what we say when we're encouraging waiting for something is that it's going to be worth it. Wait for it. Hold on. And uh, we're going to be able at Christmas to enjoy that special time. And we've waited all Advent. We've waited this whole season to celebrate this moment and the celebration of Jesus' birth together. Now, no doubt, the waiting can be hard, especially if you're a kid and you can't wait to rip those presents open or or whatever, but the waiting is worth it. And I think every single person who met Jesus felt that deep down in their bones, that the waiting had been worth it. The hundreds, millennia of waiting had been worth it. And if the waiting is worth it, what I want to explore this morning is that that can transform our experience of waiting so that we approach it, we practice our waiting, not in a wasteful way, but in a worshipful way. And this is the way. We wait for Jesus as a worshipful practice. So we're going to see that in our text today in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it there to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to unpack this idea of waiting as a worshipful practice rather than a wasteful practice. So Luke 2 picks up the story of Jesus. This is after his birth. We'll go back to his birth on Christmas Eve in just a few days, but um, we're going to look at this passage because it features two people, Simeon and Anna, who embody waiting as a worshipful practice. So if you have a Bible, turn with me, Luke chapter two, and this is the ESV version, in case you're wondering, no matter what you're following along with, it's also here on the screen. So starting uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, this is talking about Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the Law of the Lord. of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, or some translations say it lived as a widow for 84 years. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel." Father, may this word sink into our hearts this morning, enter into our spiritual bloodstream, sustain us and nourish us. Jesus, thank you for coming, for the hope that you bring, and Spirit, may you illumine this word as we seek to worship you and wait for you this morning. Amen. All right, so... I'm fascinated by these two characters in the story that we only see here in Luke chapter two, Simeon and Anna. So first, Simeon, verse 25, says a, a little bit about Simeon, says he was righteous and devout, a spirit-filled man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So in other words, based on all of God's promises, based specifically on the prophecies about the Messiah, Simeon was waiting for God to bring ultimate comfort to his people through the arrival of the Messiah, through the fulfillment of all the promises. And this has been a prominent theme all throughout the prophets, that God would bring comfort when the Messiah comes, especially in the prophet Isaiah. So, for example, Isaiah 66, we have this promise, "'As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem.'" You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. So we have this promise over and over again in the prophets that God is going to come with comfort to his people, come to bring comfort to Jerusalem, this epicenter of the kingdom of God. And and this was wrapped up in the prophecy of the coming Messiah. So Simeon was waiting in a particular way for the Messiah, for, for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting by clinging to those promises, by clinging to the Word of God, by being in conversation about God, about what he had promised, and, and by being in communion with the Spirit of God. It says he was in the Spirit, and the Spirit was leading him and guiding him. So Simeon wasn't just sitting back and saying, all right, God, you promised the Messiah to come. We have no idea when, so, you know, I'm just going to sit back and abide my time and whatever. Oh, he was actively waiting, waiting as a a worshipful way of life, as a worshipful practice of being in communion with God, which essentially is, is being in the Word of God and being attuned to the Spirit of God. So he's in the Word, and he's in the Spirit, and he's waiting, and he's waiting And God honors Simeon's waiting by allowing him to hold the promised Messiah. This is really moving to me. I don't know, for whatever reason, it it never struck me in reading this passage before, that the only named person who held the infant Jesus was Simeon, besides his parents. Simeon takes the child, and he holds him in his arms. He probably lifts him up as he's thanking God and praising God for this fulfilled promise Again, verses 29 to 32, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. As he's holding Jesus and looking into his eyes, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So this is all the promises of God fulfilled in this baby that Simeon is holding. And I can only imagine that he's just thinking, Wow, all I have waited for and more is right here in my arms. And this is going to be glorious. And and his worshipful waiting that had preceded the arrival of Jesus just culminates in more worship as he's thanking God and praising God and glorifying his fulfillment. So there's Simeon doing this. And then we meet Anna, who's the first recorded prophet in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? The first recorded prophet in the New Testament is Anna. If you're doing a little Bible trivia thing and you would ask the question, who's the first recorded prophet in the New Testament? Who was it that broke the, the so-called uh, 400 years of prophetic silence and heralded the coming of the Messiah? I think most people would say John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the prophet who heralded Jesus as the Messiah. But actually before John the Baptist is Anna. Anna. The first prophet in the New Testament is a woman. And we see in verses 37 and 38 that Anna did not depart from the temple. She's worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And she's, she's speaking of the Messiah. And, and coming up at that very hour when Jesus was there with his parents, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So in other words, as a, a prophetess, as she's named here, Anna was the first person we know of that let people know, uh, connected the dots prophetically and with the word to say this, all, all the Old Testament story, all the prophecies, it's being fulfilled in your presence right now. And, and I think it's beautiful that Anna is the one to do this because in part, it fulfills this beautiful prophecy in Joel uh, where the prophet Joel says in the fullness of time, The Spirit of God is going to be unleashed on all people, on boys and girls, on men and women, and they are going to speak God's promise and speak God's Word. And uh, God's news of salvation will then go out to all people, and we see Anna is the first one to lead the way in this Spirit-led preaching of the good news of Jesus. So here's Anna, an old woman, says she's been a widow for 84 years. She's probably somewhere in her uh, hundreds. And she's in the temple every day, praying and fasting and waiting and praying and fasting and waiting as a worshipful practice. And from the very beginning of the Christian story, when we see that the early church launching and the spirit leading, praying and fasting was one of the primary ways. Of waiting. And prayer is simply this conversation with God where we bring all of our longings and all of our desires into dialogue with God. And it's it's responsive speech because God has spoken first, God promises, and God leads, and then we say, May it be so. And we respond in prayer and we bring our own desires. God give me the grace to believe. God give me the strength and the patience to persevere be true to your word, bring comfort, bring salvation to your people and to me. And this is what Anna was doing day in and day out, waiting and praying and fasting. Because fasting intensifies and focuses your prayer. As a church, we've been practicing this on Fridays during Advent. We've been inviting you into prayer and fasting for our nation, for our city, for our church, for our families. Um, And I just wonder what that experience has been like for you, whether you've been fasting from food or fasting from social media, perhaps. Uh, So when I fast from food, I get super cranky, (laughs) at least initially before some of those uh, really sharp hunger pains wear off. I just, I get really cranky, get hangry, and um, it's hard for me to kind of push through that. But when I feel that crankiness in those first uh, stages of fasting, I, I recognize I have a choice. Uh, I can kind of just wallow in that crankiness and and be a complainer, which uh, my family has sometimes experienced. Like, what's wrong with Dad this morning? <laughs> um, and that's real. And, and sometimes you have to push through that. But other times I realize I need to I need to channel this crankiness into conversation with God. I need to begin to name. And just talk with God about other things that I'm hungry for. And to thank God for providing for my physical nourishment, for my spiritual nourishment. And then, you know, ask God, increase my hunger for justice. Increase my hunger for uh, compassion for my neighbors or whatever it is. Um, In other words, what I've experienced as I'm fasting for that next meal, which is going to be amazing… Uh, I have this choice. I've discovered that I can wait and experience that fasting in a very wasteful way, or I can wait in a more worshipful way by channeling some of those needs and desires and thoughts and emotions into conversation with God, into interaction with God, and, and, and a, a deeper soul hunger that I might be experiencing. So that's a little bit about how I've been experiencing that time. Uh, I know some of you, which is really cool, have been fasting from social media on Fridays. I think that's a great idea because uh, I don't know how you experience social media in these days, but I think uh, scrolling or, or, or checking email or text or whatever it is can really easily for a lot of us become a wasteful practice, that we can choose to wait by checking our phones in, in in a very wasteful way, and and so this uh, this habit of fasting, even from social media, can help us channel some of those energies into conversation with God. Uh, I had a really bad habit for a while. Every time I stopped at a red light, I would pull out my phone, uh, and I'd check my email, or I'd I'd send a quick text, or I'd check Instagram real quick. And um, you know, there's a reason we do that. Physiologically, we've learned that that these little Um, notifications and release endorphins and it's addicting. It's like, yeah, I got another this or that or or whatever. It helps us kind of get through dull moments, helps us get through the waiting uh, or just distract us from things. Uh, So I've tried something new, and I haven't done this during Advent as a part of the fasting, but uh, rather than pulling out my phone at a red light, I've been trying to do a couple breath prayers to, uh, again, rather than kind of wasting this moment on social media, which is not always a waste, right? Social media, it can be a gift. It's great to check in on people and such, but um, just for me to acknowledge, I can be wasteful in this practice. And instead, how might I experience this, goodness, even 10 seconds or 30 seconds of waiting in a more worshipful way? Uh, And so if you're not familiar, the practice of breath prayer is pretty simple. You take a big inhale, and at the top of your breath, you say a phrase or a word in addressing God, and then you exhale and you say another word or phrase. And often you'll repeat that maybe three times, up to ten times, as a way of centering and again channeling your focus toward God in that moment of waiting. So, one of the most common breath prayers is called the Jesus Prayer. And so, you take a big inhale Lord Jesus Christ. Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's super simple. You breathe in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Another one that I really enjoy is is the simple phrase, Your grace, O God, is enough for me. You want to try that with me just a couple times? It's good to do this again three or four times. So breathe in. Your grace, oh God, is enough for me. Your grace, oh God, is enough for me. And I don't know about you, but I find this super simple practice where you're breathing and you are centering and you are focusing your attention on God, takes what could be 15 seconds that you lose in a wasteful way and makes them simply and beautifully worshipful. And so whether you might practice that in your car like I do or maybe between meetings, if you're rushing here or there or, or even while you're doing some kind of mundane task like washing the dishes, and, and you're, you're feeling anxious, a simple practice like, like these breath prayers can really be transformative. The Spirit can use these prayers to help us change the way that we wait. It can transform waiting from a wasteful thing into a, a worshipful thing. But let's be real, just because you might do some breath prayers does not mean that waiting suddenly becomes this super easy, chill thing to do. <laughs> waiting is still hard. If, if this is what the way of Jesus is all about, that we are waiting for Jesus to return for the fullness of his revelation, and if this is the way, we need to acknowledge that Jesus never promised that the way would be easy. He has given us his spirit. He's given us tools and ways of interacting to, to make this way more worshipful. But no, this, it's still super difficult at times. And it's so easy to get distracted and it's so easy to spiral into wasteful patterns into anxious patterns and one of the cautionary tales of this actually is when jesus is going to the garden of gethsemane his betrayal is imminent and he's in the garden of gethsemane at this really important hour and all he wants is for his disciples to wait with him he says please wait with me please stay up with me and pray with me so jesus is inviting them and by connection, us, to embrace waiting as a worshipful practice. And what did they do? Remember? How did they respond? Fell asleep. (laughs) Which, sleep isn't wasteful, per se. But in response to Jesus' invitation, they wasted the opportunity. Three times, Jesus asked them, wait, pray with me. Worship with me as you wait. And all three times they fell asleep. And in observing their struggle, Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think we can acknowledge that as well this morning. We're in the same place. Our flesh is weak. And even in the midst of that, as we acknowledge that struggle, we also celebrate that Jesus came to be with us to experience that weakness, to experience even our death. So that he could be with us and we could be with him and we could have his spirit as we wait. And so that in our waiting, the, the, the miracle of Christmas is that God wants to be with us so that we can be with him and we can wait with him even as we anticipate the fullness of his arrival. And the, the, the good news in that, the good news that we celebrate in at Christmas is that God is always in the waiting. Because we are united with Christ, because we have His Spirit, as we wait, as we practice this way, uh, He is in the waiting and He longs to meet us there. And so even if it's a small moment of waiting, like you're there at the red light and you're doing some breath prayers, or whether you're thinking about this this long arc of of our whole lives as we wait for the coming of Jesus, the invitation is that God wants to meet us in the waiting and invites us to encounter him there so that the spirit can really transform what might be wasteful into something that is truly worshipable and is part of the way that Jesus has invited us on. So pray, for me, pray with me and we can practice this together even as we sing. Uh, God, we are acknowledging your invitation to us this morning that we would meet you in the waiting. We hear that And we receive that, and we say yes to that invitation. God, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for coming in the person of Jesus to make reconciliation possible, to make relationship possible, to make life with you possible. And even as we continue to feel the ache, to feel the distance, to long for you to come in your fullness, thank you that we can experience you in the waiting. And may you, by by your Spirit, lead us to experience that and to practice that in a worshipful way. Thank you for your grace that makes that possible each and every moment. Amen.